Thank you, Sheila. Hope everyone can hear me. Um, can I add my welcome? It's just lovely to see some old faces and new faces. I think from almost every state and territory in Australia and, and also some colleagues from New Zealand. Just wonderful that we could all get together. Um, thank you very much for, for joining us this morning. Um, I know there's a lot going on in everyone's lives personally um, and in our states and territories and, and nationally actually. So it's great that we can come together. My name's Claire Puller. I'm moderating today. Um, I'm a senior consultant and principal with Marts and Lundy. Um, and we have um, a wonderful group, colleagues. Of course, Neil McWannell uh, needs no introduction <laughs> um, as the CEO of Educate Plus. Great organisation. Um, it's the way we all started off in the 80s with the, with the previous version of Educate Plus. Wonderful, wonderful support. Um, of course, that dates a few of us. Um, and Russell Davidson, uh, who is the Vic Taz Chapter President of Educate Plus and also Deputy Chair um, of, uh, of the organisation. And he's, of course, from Halebury, Director of Development and Alumni Relations. And then two colleagues of mine from Marks and Lundy, and Badger um, and Alan Watkinson. Um, and I should mention that they're both fellows of Educate Plus. So we and, have... And previous uh, chairman. And previous chairman, correct. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, so let's get the discussion underway with, with the panel. Um, I think just a few introductory remarks. I, I think that we would all agree that the mission of our schools before the pandemic has not diminished in importance because of the pandemic. Uh, if anything, the importance of our missions is more important now in the grip of a worldwide health and economic crisis. So that's a sort of given. So how do we respond with a calm and strategic approach to an unprecedented situation? And honestly, we, it is unprecedented. I know that word's a bit overused, but we don't know so much about this pandemic, we don't know what the future holds. Um, we can only learn really from particular crises of the past, things like world wars, um, you know, or our American colleagues, things like 9-11 and so on. But it is imperative, I think, that we rely on our learning community, such as this one, and share our thinking and our best ideas so we can hone the best strategy for our institutions. And it is a strategy that needs to be embedded in evidence. Now, 88 schools took part in this survey, which was fantastic. And we're prepared uh, to share their responses. And so let's explore what's uncovered. What are the implications for you and for your institution? How can you unpack this survey for your head of school, for your council, uh, for your colleagues? How can you frame the evidence to defend your budget for, not, for 2021, which I think many institutions now are in budget mode? How will you modify your engagement program and your communications? 
How will it impact your philanthropic priorities? How will it impact the activity of your team members if you've got a team? And what are the modifications you might need to make in terms of your case for support uh, and your asking strategy? Uh, we know that the high level takeouts of the survey, um, we know that support for our schools did not fall off a cliff. And in many instances, the community rallied to help. And I know that many of those gifts were actually donor led. Um, and this is especially true in, for instance, in the boarding schools. The key was not to ignore the pandemic but respond to it. Student support, for instance, was found to be more compelling than other, uh, than other support for things like uh, infrastructure or buildings. And a proportion of schools were preparing for budget cuts, but the majority were not anticipating changes to budgets. But for instance, that might be a little bit too early to, to predict. So let's dig deeper now. I'm going to ask Anne to kick off um, the discussion and talk about the implications that she sees for alumni and community uh, relations and communications. So, and what's the survey pointed out for you about balancing, say, virtual and written comms and, and also building a donor pipeline through, this, through that effort? Thanks, Claire. And I think um, this evidence-based approach is something that we've all been looking for for a while. So this is a great starting point. Communications is something that I think we were onto. All the early webinars talked about it. And we've learned from things, again, led by evidence. The GFC is not the same. We've used some evidence from that to show that if you stay in touch with people and stay connected with them in whatever way, that your recovery was one third of the time it took institutions that didn't stay in touch. So it varied from 18 months in the GFC to up to five years to reconnect and to get giving going again if you didn't stay in touch. So I think that Educate Plus was out of the blocks early and we can see from the survey the range of activities that people have taken on board to try and stay in touch with people. And it's been a very much a, um, a digital-led digital approach, which is natural. And thank heavens for the digital-led because it's enabled us to do things we couldn't have done 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's been amazing. So if we look at the survey, you can see the virtual meetings, the Zooms, the webinars, the WebEx, all those things, the personalised written communication, the stewardship calls by phone or video, all rated extremely highly. Uh, and an increase in the use of videos, particularly stories about students and how they were coping, has certainly been a very effective tool. And there's been a very creative use of um, Zoom-like tools for alumni gatherings and parent gatherings. So we've seen quiz nights, sports nights, year group reunions, lunches, dinners, morning teas, um, art collection tours, we've seen some amazing things happening with Zoom. So I think that there's certainly been a great use of the technology and a great use of other things like phone calls and personalised letters. Some of the things that I think we should think about at this stage 
And we know that around Australia and New Zealand, we're all in varying stages, but we're also looking to overseas and noting that there is a second and third wave in many countries and that we don't know what lies ahead in terms of Australia and we don't know particularly what lies ahead for our communities overseas, overseas. And I think that's an important point. I think we should think about the digital overload. If I look in my inbox every day, I don't know about you, but almost every shop that I've ever been close to or walked past seems to have emailed me. Um, and so I think digital overload is a very real issue that we should think about and a concern. So think about that. When is it an effective tool and for which audiences? What are the purposes it might be used? Don't use it as a blunt instrument. Think about that very carefully. Uh, what purposes does it, in a noisy market, what purposes do digital work best for? And I think given the sophistication of the tools that we have, I think segmentation can be much finer and granular than we've perhaps done in the past. We've sort of lumped current parents together and alumni and donors. I think that some of our segmentation could be much finer and much more sensitive to what's happening in our communities. For example, um, by state and location, so if you're writing to your alumni who are Melbourne-based, it might be a different tone and a different first or second sentence than to those who are in WA or Queensland. If you're writing to people who are in the UK or the US, again, you would be thinking differently. So I think thinking about location is really important. Many of us have looked to our Southeast Asian communities for strong support, really strong support in terms of enrolments, in terms of philanthropy. How much have you reached out to them and how sensitive are you to what's happening in their particular area? How much have you recognised that? How, how much are you doing with that? At the time of the survey, uh, the longevity was not quite clear to us in you know, June and July, but I think it's increasingly clear to us that we're not going to travel we're not going to be doing those tours uh, maybe till 2022. It, it's a crystal ball. So I think one of the things that we really need to be giving some thought to is what is really good practice in reaching out to our communities who are not locally based and whom we need to think a great deal more about. How are we going to reach out to them? And what are some of the great practices we're seeing in schools and universities in their alumni and community relations? And I think that that would be a great focus for an Educate Plus webinar in the upcoming months where we actually look at some tremendous examples of very effective practice. So what is your strategy around that? Um, and age, I dare I say it, but I think you need to think about the ages of your audience too. So digital first doesn't necessarily work with people over 70 and 75. It works very effectively with some age groups. So thinking about the age, the location, and the status of your community. So the mode and the medium really matter. When I looked to the survey, an interesting uh, people noted a 52% reduction in printed materials. And I think we should reflect on that. Because if I think about the research that I've been doing for a number of schools and speaking with many donors and schools recently, People are not traveling. They're home or they're locally based. They're reading a great deal more. 
they're thinking about what matters to them. They're thinking about um, the things that have influenced their life. They're feeling frustrated at times and wanting to do something meaningful. And I think this is actually a time for some print materials to be actually out there. They have longevity. They have gravitas. So things like impact of giving reports, giving stories, those sorts of things could play a, a longer-term role, sit around, people will refer to them. So thinking about when to use print, when to use digital, I think is an important one. If you take the lead from Educate Plus, um, we had a ring of Victaz, you know, ring, ring of Victorian. So have you been ringing some of the people in areas that are in greater lockdown or in greater stress or reaching out to them? So think about those sorts of things. Another great tool that was mentioned in the survey, which I think we could do more of, is reaching out to people in a survey. I don't mean necessarily an online survey, but ringing 20 people. How have you found our communications? What would you like to know? What can we do better? How would you like to be connected? What sorts of events would you like to come to? I mean, survey as a form of engagement and connection is a really useful tool. So think about those sorts of things. Um, some schools have been doing things like getting their younger students to do some artwork or write a little story about how much they love their school and sending that to some of their older alumni. So do something memorable. Do something different. Don't just send your bequest people a letter. Send them send them some chocolates, have an afternoon tea with them online, do something with them, stand out from the crowd and use the digital tools as much as you're able to along the way. And I think also importantly, we're going to get some great practice that we can take forward out of this. We can come back to that, Claire, but I think that's enough on the comms just for now. Thanks. Thanks, Anne. I love the idea that... Uh you know, for certain segments, actually having uh, printed materials which can lie around on a coffee table that aren't just a report of what's been going on for the last six months, but are a thought, you know, thought leadership piece from the school um, around some around some topics and so on. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Just having that uh, having that brochure hanging around that you can dip into it or that magazine dip into it any time. Um, okay, so let's move on a, a little bit more towards the, you know, the fundraising action. Um, and can I pass to you, Alan? Um, what about asking during this period? You know, is it gauche to do that? Is it okay? How do we need to nuance our approach? Um, what about the case for support that doesn't mention COVID or, or anything? How do we how do we go about doing that? Um, be interesting to hear from you. Thanks very much, Claire. And can I welcome everybody as well? It's uh, great to see so many people. I'd just like to start with where you uh, introduced us, Claire, very early on, and that's about the mission. Nothing in any school about a mission has changed. The core values are still there. The, school, the core purpose of the school is still there. And if the development or advancement office has derived its own mission and its own purpose from the schools, then that's going to be the same as well. And that therefore underpins what is happening in terms of fundraising. The survey itself shows us that, or it certainly implies that the schools that kept on asking, that were asking in a respectful, 
and a carefully nuanced way, we're still receiving very good support. And the survey shows that uh, the support for currently enrolled students, as well as for future enrolled students, was up quite considerably. And that's a really interesting thing when you think that uh, donations which are given to support current students are not tax deductible in schools. So the first thing you notice from all of this is that there are people out there who want to help, who are willing to help, some of whom, as Claire suggested, come forward of their own accord, some of whom are invited by really well-crafted letters from an institution, whether it comes from the headmaster, the principal, the chair of the board or foundation, whoever, and some of which are uh, responding to, some of whom are responding to amended annual giving campaigns or very specific asks. So to answer your question, it's not gauche, it's not inappropriate, provided that there is a focus for what the funds are going to be used for and that any ask, personal, letter, virtual, is going to be sensitive and it is pitched as an invitation to support rather than a need and a, you know, there are of course needs but it's not the kind of give now because we're coming towards the end of the financial year it is this is a real cause this is the impact which can occur to on families and on students so people have responded to that and it's very very clear in the data but it's also led me to consider one other aspect of all of this um, clearly the case for support has to uh, be adjusted. It has to be nuanced to where people are. The data again shows that there's a reduction in focus on capital campaigns and a much greater focus on student and family impact. And I think that will continue for some time because we just don't know how long this is going to play out. And we don't actually understand as yet what the flow on impacts will be across families and across students, both who may want to come to a school or who are already involved in a school. There's going to be a whole range of things. And I think Neil later may talk about enrolments and how they're in some areas uh, being boosted. But there's another thing which comes out from this around fundraising. Um, the, the data, the survey shows us that the forecasts for 2020 are down by 43%, but next year it's much more positive. Only 21% of schools are thinking that they are going to have a reduction. When you compare that with how they are considering that the impact will occur within their schools, most of them just say, the schools say, they're going to have a reduction in the number of dollars raised just across the school. Only 7% said they would be looking at individual fundraiser targets. This to me throws up a very interesting point, which we didn't have enough time in the survey, or I suppose we didn't really go down deeply enough in the survey to find some results. But here is my suggestion. If we are in a school just looking at an overall reduction of a fundraising target for the year, what's the basis of that? And again, look further down in the, in the survey and you'll see that people have uh, uh, rearranged the number of face-to-face -face meetings, they may have changed their case for support, there, there are a few examples of fewer staff, there are some staff who are on reduced hours, but there's no clear sense of what is guiding this sense, for, uh, sense of we have to reduce our target. So it's a bit of a guess. 
There's an impact, therefore let's reduce it. But where's the data and the metrics supporting the decisions made within the office? Uh, and so my suggestion is that this could be related both to small shops, where there may be only be one or 1.5 fundraisers and therefore individual or team is pretty much the same, or else there isn't really a full concentration on the metrics of fundraising. I did notice in the survey that there's several, uh, there's, there's one um, graph which tells us there are very few changes in the KPIs for fundraisers or for people in advancement offices. But if you are adjusting the targets, then those KPIs do have to change. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. So the data is telling us there's a disconnect. And so I think this is a great opportunity within development offices, advancement offices, to sit down and have a look at the KPIs for the team or for the individual fundraisers around those fundraising targets and to link them with the moves management. The last two or three uh, graphs talk about those different metrics and, and some of the activities, whether there's a reduction in face-to-face -face meetings, moving towards virtual meetings, me moving towards significant contacts. This is a change. So it's an opportunity to have a look at that and talk about the number of prospects that a fundraiser should be dealing with if that fundraiser has no other um, responsibilities. The number of contacts which are expected over a month or a quarter, the number of proposals, closures, the number of stewardship things, and actually make sure that the moves management is being tracked. Because if you have that data, it then allows you much more accurately or with less guessing, shall we say, um, it allows you with less guessing to say, this is what next year should look like based upon the data and the metrics which we know and understand. Otherwise, it's a bit of a guess. And it may be a good intuitive guess. But all planning for, for the rest of this year and into next year and even beyond could now start to be based upon real data. It's the first time we've had access to this. It is validating across the board what other schools are doing, what their results are showing, and if we follow up next year as we're planning, and more than 60% of schools said they would share some of the actual financial fundraising data with us as well, that will start to give incredibly powerful data to help everyone plan really carefully for the future based upon not just guessing. So, Claire, those are a couple of the big takeaways yeah. for me in, in the areas of fundraising and metrics. And, you know, what, one other point, if, um, going back to when I was a fundraiser many years ago, if my metrics had been changed in the light of a crisis, it might have been actually built up my morale considerably to know that actually... Um, I was going to be beefing up my activity uh, in terms of contacting my prospect pool and having conversations with them uh, and uh, keeping them close to the institution, um, inquiring about them. So rather than, you know, dollars raised, I would, I would, it would take a load off my shoulders, I'm quite sure. Um, if my proposal rate was also modified um, 
appropriately, that would take stress off. So it could be a, a real morale building for the team if, if that happens. If it's not, if it's just sort of hope and guessing, then, uh, you know, an ordinary fundraiser, um, a common garden fundraiser doesn't really understand the strategy. So I think that's a very, you know, it's a pretty important point. Just, uh, just one other anecdote too that's come out of for Victorians is this really, but it's very interesting. Of course, Victoria's uh, Melbourne's been in stage four uh, lockdown, and what's coming out uh, anecdotally. So this is not from surveys, but just anecdotally is that where Melbourne was in stage three, um, this particular institution had no problem in fundraising that basically all those proposals and discussions under all the negotiations were just going on as normal but when Melbourne clicked over into stage four there was a change people said you know actually we don't have the headspace to deal with this now things have got very complicated and we'd love to talk to you about it but can we just put it on hold until we've come out of this situation so i think that that's a that's a pretty interesting thing you know that that uh we are all in um some sort of uh, uh pandemic uh modified behavior but just to be very very mindful of where our donors where our donors are so russell you're our uh, you're our practitioner um uh have you had a chance to, you know, what's your intentions of what you're going to do on the ground at Halebury uh, with this survey, with the evidence? Where, how are you going to share it? Who are you going to have a battle with on budgets? Um, tell us all the, the gory details of that. Thanks, Claire. Good morning, everyone. Great to, uh, great to be here this morning. And thanks to the, the Marts and Lundy team for initiating the survey and, uh, and today's webinar, of course, and also to, to Neil and, and his team at Educate Plus for, for doing the same. Uh, this comes at a, a really good time for, for me. I'm, a, I'm due to brief um, our board in the next few weeks, our foundation board. So I've taken this from the angle that that's how I might uh, talk, let's speak today and how I might brief the board at Halebury and of course, uh, the principal who also sits on our foundation board. I think the first point that was raised uh, was certainly the point that Alan has raised in, in regards to the KPIs. And I think that's a really salient point for practitioners to take back uh, to their boards and, and the modification and the flexibility around KPIs and how that might be delivered uh, in the development office. And I think that's certainly point number one is that we need to have a, have a good look at those KPIs and understand how they may impact on, on the development office and the staff that work within uh, those Offices. I guess I've got a couple of points to make this morning, Claire. And, and the first is that um, when, I, when, I, when I saw the survey and when I saw the results from the survey, I found great relief and I found it encouraging um, that many schools are expecting to see um, increases or at least um, the same levels in support in the next 12 to 18 months. And I think it's really important that boards uh, are aware of those, uh, those figures. I think that points to the fact that we should be pushing ahead 
and I use the term with caution, um, with activities such as mini campaigns, special events, uh, giving days, particularly if they do relate to, as Alan pointed out, student and family uh, support. I think it's really important that our case for support when it comes to um, uh, campaigns is really sharp and it's really sensitive to our donors' needs. And I think it's really important that our boards and our leadership uh, are aware of that. It's critical to be understanding of, of each and every donor and the position that each and every donor is in. Not all of our donors have been impacted severely by the COVID pandemic. However, many have, and I've certainly spoken to many over the past four to six months that have been impacted by uh, falls in the share market. Uh, they've been impacted by uh, losses of, of, their, of their job. Um, many are still paying uh, high school fees, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to have a, a really strong and a good understanding and a feel for their situation. And of course, we need to adjust targets uh, if need be as well. That's the first point. The second is that um, it's great to see that 86% of our schools are supporting uh, their own students uh, via financial aid, obviously for current students. And um, that's terrific. It's terrific that we are supporting our own within our institutions. And I think what that does, um, Claire, is it, is it really provides a positive awareness for the existence of the development office. And if a school has a foundation, the existence of the foundation and the branding of that particular foundation. From a personal point of view at Halebury, you know, we have uh, released some, some funding from our foundation, from our general fund, to support boys and girls at our school who are in uh, who are in need of that particular funding to get them through until the end of the year. And from our point of view, that's presented a really great opportunity to be able to brand the work, if you like, of Halebury Foundation and the work that we do in supporting our students. Um, that funding hasn't come from uh, donations, if you like. It has come from the operations of, of our uh, Chinese school. However, it does showcase the work that we do and it gives us that opportunity to to speak to our community about uh, the great work that the school is doing. And that's certainly a point that I'll be raising with our board. And I think it's really important at this time as well that um, even though budgets are being cut, and let's hope they're only being cut in areas such as events, uh, travel, hopefully not PD, the Educate Plus conference is very important, of course, next year. Um, but now's not the time to be cutting staff, particularly in, in those small teams that many school uh, development teams work within uh, because there's so much that can be done uh, by way of communication, new ways of connecting and showing impact. Again, one of the examples that we use at Halebury is we've done this in the last um, month or two. We've run four really successful donor impact events whereby we've been able to uh, connect with our, uh, our, our, our major donor community uh, through impact of scholarships on students. We've presented four students who have spoken about the significant impact and the changing of their lives due to those scholarships, but also being able to speak about a certain area of the school as well. And had a, have, we've had a senior member from our school staff come on and speak to our donors as well. In the absence of face-to-face -face events, we can still show impact. So therefore, there's so much to be done, so much new wave technology that can be done in our development offices and we can show impact that way as well. 
we've seen that through the wealth of our PD, um, all the opportunities that are available, that staff can really start to learn uh, lots and lots of and new, new ways of going about things as well. Staff can be used to great effect now more than ever, and that's a really salient um, point to be put to, to boards as well. Schools are going to reap the benefits down the track from all of the stewardship and the communication, if done well, uh, that is being done at the moment. Uh, there's so many examples of, of, of that. There's some really key takeaways from me from this point of view. It's all about meaningful engagement, uh, it's all about positive and effective stewardship, sensitivity to our donors as well, and carefully planned. And I think if there's one way that our boards can, can, can show impact in this point here, it's let's get our boards involved. Let's get our boards involved more than ever in terms of connecting with our donors and, and being in touch and showing their face because now is, now is the time, I think, that we can really showcase the work that we do in this space. Mm, great. Um, Russell, what would you advise institutions that are in campaign? Would you say um, to a board, for instance, your fa if you were in campaign, I'm not quite sure whether you are in campaign or not. Or no, no. I've never really done no. a major campaign, so yeah. but, uh, happy to, happy to, to try imagine, and answer. Yeah, well, imagine a school that is in and, and um, what would you be saying to you, what advice would you give your foundation board for um, managing this, managing the campaign from here on in? Would it be? Would it be? Look, let's let's actually lengthen, lengthen the time uh, of the of, of the of the public phase, or maybe the if you're in quiet phase, maybe lengthen the quiet phase um, in order to allow people to get get through what they're going through now, get through the actual crisis bit, and get a bit more headspace. Um, or would you be saying, you know, moratorium? What would you th what would you be thinking? I think I think I think we need to be able to read each and every community. Every every community is very very different. Obviously, here in in Melbourne, things are a little tougher than perhaps what they are over in in the west and and, and perhaps up north as well. I think the the key aspect of this would be to show a degree of flexibility and an understanding of the community. Uh, I'd sense in all areas that it's a case of slowing down, making sure that uh, we are. We don't, we don't try and get too far ahead of ourselves. We don't panic when things are, are behind. Most importantly, we need to show empathy and compassion for our current community and the students within our community and to help those who, who might, be, might be struggling. There's no point running a major campaign if we're losing students because of uh, dire financial circumstances. Uh, that's not a great, not, certainly not a great look. So I think that the, the area there is to, to be really careful and to show some great flexibility. Yeah. Anne? Can I just add a little bit to that, Claire? I've got a couple of schools who are in campaign and they're doing what Russell said. And part of what they're doing is actually doing like a mini feasibility where ringing 30 or 40 people and asking them how they feel about it and how they think the community would perceive it. So that's been another touch point, another communication point. Mm. And I think to clear the evidence from the GFC which is the most similar thing we've got at the moment to draw on for data, is that most campaigns achieved their goal, but it took 12 to 18 months longer. If you did what Russell said, which is 
handle it sensitively, nuance it. So keep it on a low simmer, but not at a boil, I mm. guess is what we'd be saying. Mm. Yeah. Right. And interestingly, um, Martin Lundy, we uncovered this only recently, did a study of uh, institutional campaigns after 9-11 to see what, what the effect, uh, what, how people were reacting to that. And interestingly, those campaigns all made goal or better than goal, but they took longer, um, one to two years longer. So uh, that's quite an interesting study. It sort of informs, you know, how, how, how campaigns might behave um, during, a, during a crisis. And this could, it could be a hurricane, it could be a terrorist attack, it could be, you know, a pandemic. Uh, or, in, <laughs> or 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 the sort of crisis. Um, if I, can I just uh, jump in and say, yeah. ab absolutely, and uh, it's it's what institutions need to do in these uh, very interesting and challenging times. A horrible phrase, um, and it does come back again to getting the data and looking at how you can forecast forward. So mm. if you get the base data and you can look a little bit at what your trends have been over two or three years you can then see how far you have to try and push out because you can see what the trends are likely to produce and then what the gap would be between where you should get to pretty easily and where your stretch goal is going to be. And that mm -hmm. helps you to have some sense of the time, but also the effectiveness of, uh, of the team and whether you may even need to in increase the size of the team. Mm -hmm. um, and nothing beats having the data. Uh, and we've probably all been in those positions when we were fully employed before we became consultants of having to argue for budget and staffing and everything else. And it was always easier if you could actually show what the likely increase of investment would mean in terms of return on investment over time. Mm. So it, it is a great opportunity yeah. to do this. And that's a perfect segue um, to Neil. Um, because Educate Plus, of course, is at the epicenter of collection of data. Um, and uh, so, Neil, it would be great to hear from you. Um, uh, you know, you've been providing fantastic webinars um, and paid, um, professional development, networking and so on. But how do you see Educate Plus now perhaps going forward and the role it could play in you know, in a sort of a building a culture of surveys so that we can actually, sh you know, share this uh, incredibly important uh, trends, if you like, um, and analysing trends. Um, and, uh, and also the other, the other professional development learnings which you might be thinking about going forward. Well, thank you, Claire. And uh, can I thank Martin Lundy, uh, reiterate what Russell said, we're delighted to, um, to have undertaken this survey and partnership with you. And uh, it's been a most useful exercise. So thank you for that. It's interesting to reflect that the results have been quite diverse. And, and accordingly, it's been very difficult for an organisation to make an overall comment regarding uh, what the uh, observations have been. Some institutions, um, as we've heard, have continued uh, and run very successful fundraising programs during this COVID period, I note a few of the people, uh, participants in this webinar are from those institutions, um, whereas others haven't, de haven't deemed it culturally appropriate or have been sensitive to the 
the needs of their clientele and, and have steered away from uh, running any campaign at this time. So results are quite diverse. It's interesting, um, many people or many of the advancement staff have used this time to, uh, I think uh, Alan mentioned this as well, or Russell did as well, to spend some time on stewardship of your high net, with your high net worth individuals or high net worth donors um, to adjust your case of support. So there are opportunities there. The other thing I reflect on is that this COVID, whilst it's been dreadful, it has actually provided an opportunity for independent schools, which are the majority of those people participating today, to actually showcase how well they do things. Um, prior to the meeting, we were chatting with the panel and I heard an interesting fact that some of the government schools had been offering a half an hour face-to-face -face teaching uh, in these um, learn from home situations. When you compare that to some of the excellent programs being offered by our institutions to fully cater for the students, even though they are remote learning, uh, that's been noticed by the parents. And so I, I'm hearing quite a lot, and again, it's not uniform, but many, many examples of increased enrolments in your institutions and positive outlooks for the future. So quite diverse. The webinars, as you mentioned, have served our members well. I think um, Sheila's probably looking quite exhausted in the background there. She's past 50 now. Uh, a huge response from our members, members, so it has really met a need. Um, but I am, and again, this uh, might relate to Victoria as well, but many of them are now craving uh, returning to face-to-face -face interaction. That's the heart and soul of, of what Educate Plus has provided in the past. So we see a hybrid model in the future whereby um, we'll still be able to offer online opportunities, which are particularly beneficial for those in our rural and remote areas that can't get to the major cities. Um, but yes, uh, now some of the other chapters are now beginning face-to-face uh, -face activities and they're being extremely well received. Claire, you asked about uh, opportunities for Educate Plus for the future. Uh, the major events coming up are our certified training program, which you'll be interested to know is scheduled for Melbourne at Melbourne University in uh, May next year. Last week, I surveyed the 20-odd people who have already registered for that or expressed an interest. And it was interesting to hear from them that all bar one um, would have the preference of having it as face-to-face. -face. Um, they would still participate if it was online, but they crave for that face-to-face -face interaction uh, and that ability to share knowledge and expertise with each other. And whilst we managed that pretty well this year, we still had significant numbers doing it. Anne was one of the presenters. It worked well, but people would still prefer that face-to-face -face option. Um, so the future, I see it um, a significant opportunity for us as an organization to reignite uh, advancement. There is a real need uh, to share that story with leadership, with your boards, that advancement um, is going to play a critical role in emerging from this and that we need to train and ensure that all of our members are performing at leading practice. Uh, it's going to be really essential to not only for your enrolments, but your marketing, of course, goes with that and fundraising. Uh, planning well, it's not all doom and gloom. If you've got a good case for support, if you've been stewarding your major donors, uh, then um, hopefully as we come out of this, there'll be opportunities to, uh, as I say, to reignite and to have run successful campaigns. It may take a little bit longer, but the fundamentals will hopefully uh, still remain the same. So that's a quick um, summary. Um, it's, as I said, the results have been quite diverse. Uh, some, some of you are really struggling. 
others have, have worked through this and uh, the future's um, uh, somewhat brighter. So, Neil, can I ask you whether you think it might be a good idea to actually follow this survey through with uh, another study down the track sometime to see actually what transpired in over the next year? Um, it might be very, very useful for, uh, you know, just for the future about how uh, Australian and New Zealand institutions cope with a crisis, um, you know, in, so. terms, in terms of advancement. Yes, so um, we're, we're looking forward to working with Martin Lundy on getting some specifics. Uh, you may recall that, um, and I see one of the uh, participants actually helped me assist or develop a, a survey just before COVID started on what people's resources and fundraising outcomes were in, in prior to, to COVID. Unfortunately, COVID put, a, put paid to that. But yes, as Alan's um, mentioned, data is key to assisting you in, in presenting a case for support to your board and your leadership. So uh, very much in favour of additional surveys um, mm. to assist. We've mm. also uh, been asked a question um, by a participant saying, is there an appetite for investing further into this data and turning the results into infographics that could be used for presentations with boards? Uh, Neil, can you hear me? No, mm. Yeah, my, my internet's gone. It might be the internet, Neil. Easier for people to make presentations to boards as well with some visuals that they're able to pop onto slides or something. I think that could be really helpful. Yeah. And Sheila's back and she's on mute. She, Sheila's back. Um, oh, so sorry. I comment. Yeah. Sorry, Go ahead, Sheila. Yeah, sorry, our internet dropped out here. So uh, we're just getting reconnected. Apologies for that. Continue. Yeah. Would anyone else like to make a comment on how they're using, going to use the survey in their own institution or ask a question of the panel in our last, uh, our last few minutes? Got a bit of time there. And Abra, I have uh, lost all of your questions. So if you've got any more that you want to put on, go ahead. I'll let somebody else go. I had about five in my messages to Sheila, but I'm happy to take a number and wait. If there are other questions, then happy to, but otherwise I'm happy to go as well. Um, I can't see anything now. I've lost all my data. So if you want to go ahead, Abra. All right. Um, I, I guess it was really building on some of the things that Alan said, but also Russell and Claire, which is we've got the real and now, which is the, the urgent of what, how do we react in a time of COVID? But I also believe that there's real value in a turning this research into a longitudinal study of actually being able to ask the same questions every year. It's very valuable now, but imagine how much more valuable it would be if you have five years of data or 10 years of data and so on and so forth. And so really from, from an Educate Plus perspective, I'd be very keen on seeing how we can make this not so onerous, but continue to have trends and, um, and be able to extrapolate over time, including post-COVID, uh, all of these questions are, are, are very relevant and I'm curious as to whether other people would find that valuable as well. I could see, Arbor too, a session at each of our conferences um, where the data is presented in a longitudinal fashion and that gives it regularity and a rhythm to it all. Um, 
And I think evidence-based decision-making is the way, I mean, we work in educational institutions. We are about research and evidence. And so I think that uh, our profession moving to more evidence-based decisions and more research is only going to serve our members better. Uh, we're noticing in presentations at conferences and so on, people are putting in data rather than just anecdotes and stories. And so I think this whole approach is something that could be inform our, our future as a profession. Uh, could, I, could I just ask a quick question, Abra? Um, you said it was onerous. Uh, are you referring to the number of questions and the detail asked in the survey or just in the administration of it? Uh, I apologise. I didn't, I didn't think it was onerous. I thought it, the survey had right, just the right balance. And as a respondent, I found it wasn't onerous to actually fill out. So I, I really applaud the way in which the survey was designed. I have, you know, there was no dearth of surveys going around with COVID, just like there was no dearth of everybody's plan on how they're going to deal with COVID, including the car dealer down the street. But this survey was a really good one. Good. That's really That's useful for us to know. Thank you. Yeah, very useful. So um, when um, I was... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Claire. Sorry, apologies to everyone. We had an internet dropout there, but... Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I had another point to make, but I'll come back to you later, but um, apologies. Okay. I, I was just, just, just saying that um, uh, I chaired the Chief Advancement Officers of the Group of Eight um, some time ago now, and this was before there was any benchmarking done in Australian universities. Um, and we got... Uh, we got a survey going uh, just with the eight universities that are that are part of the GO8, um, and uh, and now now that survey actually is open to um, Australia and New Zealand, and it has I don't know twenty four thirty institutions that take part in that. I wonder whether you know I I feel for instance the time is well overdue that we had such a survey for um, independent schools, um, you get, uh, and it is a fundraising survey, um, but it gives you an awful lot of data. It's anonymised, the, the report is anonymised, so you can't see your own data in there, so it's all amalgamated data, but then you get your own report um, uh, in this particular survey, which shows you um, how you how you went um, benchmarked against other institutions. So it gives you what I found was that it. I I used that survey to make a lot of strategic decisions for the university that I worked for, and I and I turned the head of my vice chancellor because heads love data. They really love data, and if you've got an evidence base, you can you get their attention, um, and you get them alongside you. You get them shoulder to shoulder with you in terms of building good strategy. So I, I think this, you know, maybe the time is right building on this to have to have a similar sort of survey in run by Educate Plus. Is that a bit bold, Neil? <laughs> no, um, in fact, uh, Joseph Herschel's just from Skeggs Darlinghurst has just asked a question about it as well. Um, he's very keen to work with me on, on developing, uh, and he assisted me in that earlier survey that COVID put, paid to, but uh, you're very keen to, to do some further in-depth surveys into this. 
just just in answer to Joseph's question, uh, obviously in the report there are some uh, there is some unpacking of girls' schools versus boys' schools, co-ed against day schools, and so on. Um, not on every question, but there there's enough there to give a sense that this can be achieved. Uh, it just perhaps needs a bit of extra refinement in some of the questions, and then uh, going back to our data analysts and getting them to draw that information out. But just as a uh, as a superficial look, perhaps, you can see several examples there of where the data has been broken out into the comparisons between girls' schools and boys' schools. Um, and even there's, there's one example there of uh, New South Wales versus Victoria as well. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do with it. Um, and also we've been able to compare some of the results with uh, what happens in the US and in Canada. And that's, I think, also very reassuring for all of us here in Australia and New Zealand, that we are not different. Uh, sometimes we talk about the difference in scale and that's there, but actually uh, the comparisons are very, very strong. So any other questions? Um, in that case, Maybe I, I, could... I had one. Oh, good, Neil. Sorry. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Just looking through the participants in this um, in this uh, webinar, I noticed there were a number of other consultancies and partners of Educate Plus, and I just wondered if anyone wanted to make comment on, from a, a commercial perspective, how they how these companies and partners um, are coping, and how they see the future. If anyone um, in that those categories wants to make a comment. Neil, I might uh, say a few words as Alistair Lee here. Um, one of the um, one of the things that uh, I think that uh, school, schools and universities, for that matter, are crying out for at the moment is in terms of getting their basics right, um, in terms of doubling down on those things that make fundraising successful, doubling down on their relationship building. Some of them are struggling with that at the moment in terms of just getting the basics right. Um, and uh, things that, um, areas that they're asking me for advice on is how to get those basics right um, and doubling down on those things that are important. Um, but uh, the other thing too, I think, is that uh, in terms of their alumni and how to reach out more effectively with them in terms of these tough times, but also doing it in an, in an authentic way, I think is probably the biggest challenge. Um, and how they actually go about that. And a few of them are struggling, with, again, with the basics, getting the basics right, is the, the questions that keep coming through to me anyway. I don't know whether anybody else has got any thoughts on that. Um, before we even worry about data and all sorts of things, which is highly, highly important, it's been great today, but just getting the basic the basics of relationship building right with our um with our donors with our alumni with our supporters and with our internal communities i suppose hey um well we've got two minutes so neil i'd like to throw to you um i'd like to say thank you for partnering with us i think our um you know, the one take-home message, if, I, if it's all-encompassing, is don't down tools. Um, just modify your tools. Choose different sorts of tools. 
Um, but Neil, let me let me uh, ask you to close our session, um, please. Once again, uh, thank you to Martin Nundi for partnering with us. I hope this has been interesting for everyone, just to reflect on the situation, uh, to hear some stories about uh, how others are, are coping. Um, as I said, the results and the situations for around the country are quite diverse, uh, particularly for our Victorian colleagues since the uh, that have gone down into second stage lockdown uh, since this survey. So our thoughts have been with you. We hope that next year is the brighter one for us all. We don't know, but we hope. Uh, we hope that uh, we look forward to seeing you all in Adelaide uh, next September, where we've moved the international conference to. It's interesting to reflect, um, and that was my other point, Claire, you asked me to reflect on the future for Educate Plus. Uh, we're hopeful that, um, that the conference will be a, a great success. The board has a meeting this weekend. We'll be looking at um, supporting people to get there. Um, and um, already we, prior to COVID coming along, we had record uh, registrations, record support from our partners, and they've all stayed on board and they're craving for this to occur as well. So I look forward to seeing you all next September. Um, I thank you once again for your uh, assistance and I hope this data is of, of value to our members. And thank you, uh, Claire, for moderating this session. Thank you, Neil, thank you. And look, if you have any staircase thoughts, you know what they are, I should have asked that and I didn't, please send them through to Sheila and, and she'll uh, triage them from there. And any feedback, of course. So thank you, everyone. Okay. Best wishes. Stay safe, stay well. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.